Innovate UK KTN. Connecting for positive change. Hello and welcome to the eighth and sadly final episode of our Geo for Earth podcast series brought to you by Innovate UK KTN. I'm Dallas Campbell. And I'm Susie Imber. And in this series, we've been continuing the COP26 discussions, looking at the role that KTN and its partners play in addressing climate change. Specifically, we've been exploring how we can use space data and geospatial intelligence to build a better future. Yes. Now, the big question we are going to explore today is what is the role of digital twins and geospatial intelligence in the transition towards a resilient, low-carbon economy? Dallas, did you know what digital twins were? I had no. I had no idea what digital twins were (laughs) until we talked to our two fantastic guests today, uh, Lucy Kennedy and Sarah Hayes, who will explain all. So grab yourself a tea, a coffee glass of wine depending on what time of day it is and enjoy the conversation delighted to have we've got sarah hayes with us and lucy lucy kennedy lovely to have you with us in hopefully a noise-free environment wherever you are uh, lucy and sarah will you just maybe just give us a little bit of um, uh, a little introduction about who you are and why you're with us so yeah so hi i'm lucy lucy kennedy ceo and one of the co-founders of a company called spot it uh, silly spelling with four t's and we they haven't put 40s have yeah. they why did they do that whose decision was that i mean I... I was involved in that decision why did you go for 40s dot com dot com domain name when i'm not worrying about how many t's in the name of the company i i help people get access to satellite imagery and analytics and in particular clients in the energy sector we help them monitor stuff using satellites that's why i'm here great well thank you very much for being here and sarah hello sarah Hello. Hi there. I'm Sarah Hayes. I'm the engagement lead for the Credo Project. That's the Climate Resilience Demonstrator Project, working with Connected Places Catapult. Connected Places Catapult. Well, listen, uh, thank you both for coming. I'm really interested in this, this subject today. We are talking about energy resilience, and I suppose it kind of means what it says on the tin, but I'm interested... In, in, in what you go, I suppose when we talk about energy resilience, can we just clear up that definition before we do anything else? What do we mean by energy resilience? What is it? <laughs> Why do we need it? Why is it important? Are the lights going to stay on? Is the short answer to that one. <laughs> yeah. In the face of climate change, so climate change means we're going to experience a warmer, wetter climate and more storms. So if you think back to the last winter, we've had a number of storms, Storm Arwen, Storm Ara, and that meant lots of power cuts, lots of communications, and in some cases, people didn't have running water because the services stopped, because the assets, the infrastructure assets are impacted by the storms, and it means that we we lose our service. So that's what we need to be thinking about in the future, is how resilient, how well protected our, our infrastructure assets to uh, future climate change. And uh, I suppose, uh, so So ex- more extreme weather events, but presumably are we talking also about the fact that we're transitioning from fossil fuels to things like solar and wind, which presumably is also weather dependent? And so how do we, is that right? I- yeah, so we're, we're moving generally from, from sources of, of energy that we can switch on and off to sources of energy that we can't choose so easily when to switch on and off. So how do we manage supply and demand when in fact supply is driven by sun, wind, wave, 
nuclear other things um, and demand is driven by other things and is going to increase because we're all going to have uh, electric cars and things like that. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, th- I think the general populace, myself included, we, we, we just sort of think energy is kind of magical and we and you just turn on a button and, and there it comes. And we don't, I don't think, we, 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 we can't store it. That's the thing. I think kind of people assume it like we store it in jam jars or, 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 or something. We don't have, but you know, when we need to make energy, we have to burn more coal or burn more oil or drop some water from the top of a mountain to the bottom of a mountain or whatever it is it's it's a really odd thing that that we we can't store it and i think it's quite counterintuitive we don't yet yeah have the the capability to store it as we need to to be able to access it when we want to but i agree i think you know we take it for granted we can switch the lights on we can you know we can turn the tap on yeah and i think with climate change it is a question of you know changing people's expectations in terms of the services that they get or acting to ensure that we'll be more resilient. Presumably there are a couple of aspects to this. One is the availability of energy, so how much we're producing versus how much we're using. And the other sounds like it's an infrastructure situation where bad storms take down power lines, for example. So it sounds like there are a couple of different issues that need to be addressed in order to make sure we can always turn the lights on. Oh, it's a a whole big... um, I'm not going to use the word mess. That's not, not the right word. But, you know... We are, our demand is going up. We have the challenges of, of climate change. We have hundreds of thousands of kilometres of ageing infrastructure in some cases. Um, and we need it to be more flexible, right? We might all, our houses might all in the near future be power generation plants in their own right. So instead of networks just supplying in one direction, energy needs to move in both directions. It's an interesting challenge. It really is. Is, it, is energy resilience, is it, is it going to be harder as we move across to low carbon forms of energy? Is it going to be harder? That's a do difficult you know what I mean? one. What well, do you know what we, I mean? It's like, we, we, presumably we have energy resilience now. We don't really kind of worry about it. Well, we, sort of, we do, people, people worry well, about it. But, we but, still experience power cuts when well, there that, are storms. So we, but is it, the is question it, is, yeah, do is we it, have, at the moment, do we have the level of resilience that we, we really want? Yeah. And as the weather becomes more challenging with climate change in the future, and as we become more reliant upon renewable energy sources, that in itself is going to be more challenging. Right. It, it will be more challenging for the system. It's also quite an interesting point you make about storing energy in different ways. So obviously there's the ways that we discussed earlier, but as we start developing our own generation on, on our houses, whether that's you know solar cells on our roofs or whatever, presumably people are also installing batteries to store some of that energy for their own use for later on and then feeding some of it back into the grid if they don't need it. So it sounds like the story is becoming more complex associating up with our energy needs as we start introducing all these other factors as well. It is, it is. And I think it, you know, the, the term mess is, is not inaccurate. And the question is, how do we make sense of all of this mess? And so tell us a little bit about how we're using geospatial data to address some of these challenges. The core of our podcast is using geospatial data in innovative ways. So, I mean, we can use geospatial data to find sites that are suitable for renewable energy, so sites with great, you know, solar aspects, sites with great wind resource, um, and we can look at that both from the point of view of where it's got the best resource, most sun, most wind, highest waves, these kind of things, but also which are sites that are perhaps easiest and most appropriate for development. Where are they close to the user? 
uh, where is the slope not too high, access from the road, we're not cutting down any precious ancient woodland. All sorts of different factors that need to come into space, place and they're all geospatial data. I'd sort of build on that slightly. So talking about kind of how we're using the data, that's that's for the for the design of new facilities. Do we also use it for the monitoring of existing facilities? Is it possible to use geospatial data or, or Earth observation data to, to help us? Absolutely. There's more and more of a movement that to to have the increasing rely, network reliability and resilience that we need, um, network owners and operators need to have an increasingly better understanding of the risks and the changes around their network. Now that can be stuff like increased flooding, but it can also be, you know, Mr. Brown digging beside the gas or, you know, electricity pylon where, where they shouldn't do. And so there starts to be more and more tools whereby people are using Earth observation data. So drones, aeroplanes, satellites, and then using complex analytical tools to be able to analyse that data and give people the flags that they need in terms of somebody doing something stupid, a tree too close to the line, whatever it may be. In fact, that's one of the things that, that Spotit's heavily heavily involved in. So that's I'm always coming. amazed about how, how sort of granular you can get, how close you can get, the fact that you can sort of look at individual trees and make decisions. I think, based yeah, on it's remarkable. I, it's I heard ridiculous. a story about, about people looking for water leaks from space yeah. a few weeks ago. You know, how amazing that we can do that. It's that is phenomenal. Great. Hey, listen. One of the one of the things that I've terms that I've heard about that I've I I don't know anything about is this idea of of, of creating a, a a digital twin, basically sort of creating landscapes digitally that you can kind of experiment on, but which kind of correspond to real life. Is that is that a thing? If it, how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So it's a way of bringing all the information together to help you make a decision. So a digital twin is a digital representation or a digital model of something. You could create a digital twin of anything, a physical thing, a system or a process. It could even be a digital twin of yourself, like a, a robot you. No, so the I, I, don't, the I, I don't want that. <laughs> so it, it, all sounds a bit, it all sounds a bit meta. It all sounds a bit Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook well, the, the, meta. The, but the idea is that there is some kind of data connection between the physical thing and the digital model. Mm. And that kind of connection can vary. So you could be using a static data set or a real-time data set or something in between. So you could have a digital twin of an EV charging point or a digital twin of a wind farm and of the turbines in the wind farm and a digital twin of the whole transport system which connects to the charging point and the wind farm. But the crucial point is to be able to connect digital twins and share data across organizations in a secure way so that we can use this information to make better decisions. So for example, we can ensure that the EV charging points are in the right place and can access electricity at peak times when demand for charging is high and, and perhaps also look at ways to, to manage demand. So digital twins are all about bringing together lots of information to help us make better decisions and, and less mistakes. So the digital twin in, in the uh, EV charging point might be a model of traffic flow throughout the UK. Could that be like a digital twin that would be helpful for working out how use, how, how frequently that charging point would be used? Is that an example? Yes. Is it in the right yeah. place? Is it the right speed of charging? Exactly. That. How do you? I don't really understand. How? Do, how do you? When you say, "Oh, you can sort of plug the digital twin into the real thing," I, I don't understand that bit. 
so you want some kind of data connection between the physical things. So some data about the physical asset. So that could be the, the record of when it's used, how much power is drawn from the EV cha power, uh, charging point into, into a, your computer model. So you're, you know, there will right. be some kind of monitor, some connection between that charging point because you need to be charged for it. So you need to pay a price for using that electricity. So it, it, it's the connection between the physical thing. Oh, I see. So, oh, I see. So, you, so it's just you—you you just mean getting data from the real world and creating a model of, of something. Right. Okay. If you're okay. thinking about Sorry. it from a power line point of view, you—you you have your digital twin of where your towers are and how big the spans are and etc. But the data you plug into that is the current flow reading and the readings that you're getting as to okay. what's going through the the span, and then your digital twin works on that. Easy. It is easy. I, oh, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm just imagining sort of dystopian landscapes of digital people. God, we have it already. Like social media is basically digital uses. It's, it's terrifying. Susie's like, what's he talking about? I'm slightly lost and wondering where you're going, but keep going. <laughs> a digital twin is, is a, it's a funky terminology. I mean, it's the next step on simulation and modeling that we've been doing forever, right? But look, you know, at the moment, we have lots of data, lots of information all around us mm. that we're not making use of. We, you know, we are really struggling with the idea of how do we get to net zero? How do we increase resilience? We've got all this data around us and we're just not using it. And, and the thing about digital twins really is helping us use it in a more organized way. So we stop making all these mistakes on the path to net zero. So basically, you don't have to dig up the road in real life. You can dig up the road in your digital twin and figure out what's going exactly. on. Exactly. And you could perhaps then coordinate with the utility operators so they only dig it up once. And in fact, Oh, that drives me crazy. But that's exactly it, isn't it? If you having a network, understanding where all the resources are, that presumably is, is a digital twin. And then and understanding what conditions are in. So when do they need to be yeah. maintained? How long would they last? When do you need to upgrade them? Yeah. You know, what, what's the least carbon way to upgrade a piece of infrastructure? Mm. I think in my mind, I assume everyone knows what everyone else is doing. I you know, that's, water board that's the scary thing, is if you looked at the data on which you use to make some pretty big business decisions and choices, you might be a bit scared. This is what you mean by mess. We come back to mess. Well, but so for example, I want to dig up my driveway. I wanted to know where all the infrastructure to my house was so I didn't accidentally dig it up. Some of it I was able to access. Some of it was a complete mystery to all of us. <laughs> and, and there's a live project within government, NUAR, the National Underground Asset Register, run by the Geospatial Commission, which is, is looking at that, exactly that point, the coordination of actors in this space and the sharing of information. Wait, exactly Susie's driveway? The other th word I, I'm sort of struggling with is everyone starts to use the word actor suddenly. Have you noticed that? Actors. No, Politicians I, use I the word bad actors. Why do, <laughs> as a former actor, this is the problem. I, was a, I'm a, I, I trained as an actor, so I'm always like, wait, what, what actors are involved in this? Someone is taking over the word actors actor. Are, actors are kind of digital twins in a way. We pretend to be other people. There you go. I, I think that's an interesting point, actually, because a film, in a way, can explore another reality. Mm. It can run a simulation of what would happen in this situation. 
And in the project that I'm working on, we actually made a film to explore what happens when there's a really bad flood. How would that impact an old man at home who's dependent on a breathing support machine? What if the power went out? What would happen to him? And we explored what a different future might look like if the infrastructure operators got together, collaborated to ensure that the power didn't go out. So I think film is actually a really powerful medium for communicating some of these ideas. Yeah, that's a really, well, we, I mean, that's kind of why we enjoy films, I guess, because we, as you say, we explore alternate realities in, in, in ways. And I suppose what you're doing is building alternate realities. Can you, I mean, so we've established what digital twins mean. Can you give us a, a kind of, you, you know, you've touched on a few examples, but have you got an, an, perhaps an example that you're working on, something you're really excited about or something that you think is going to be a real game changer? Yes, so Credo, the Climate Resilience Demonstrator Project. So it's a digital twin of the infrastructure system. It brings together data about assets across energy, water and telecoms in a particular area in East Anglia. And it also brings in data about future flood scenarios that would be caused by climate change so that we can then see what happens in these future storms. So where would the flooding happen and how would the assets be affected? And then if some assets are, are wet, they're flooded and they fail, how they impact other assets in the system. So you could be looking at a dry area of the city that hasn't got flooded. It's not going to be dry, there's a storm happening, but it might, it might not be as badly flooded as, say, where the power substation is. But if that power substation has gone out, then it means that people who were living in that other area would lose service along with people who are living nearer to the substation. So what we're really doing is showing how you can bring together data across different organizations to inform our understanding of the interdependencies across the infrastructure networks, across energy, water and, and telecoms, because it isn't just an energy issue. Yes, yes. We need That's to be really thinking about other networks. It seems at the moment, perhaps, we, we everyone seems to be in their little silos, all these institutions. And of course, everything presumably is is interdependent. They're all so this managing is a way of their own assets. That's that's how they're incentivized. I mean, in in the field that I work in, the terms of sort of Earth observation, which is the use of satellite imagery and, and data and, and analytics based on that, we're a great source of input data for digital twins. So, in one project I'm working, we're working with the the national grid. Um, we're going to be using you know satellite imagery and analytics. Um, to monitor their networks on a potentially more frequent basis than they do it now. And then they can input that into their digital twins. So, for example, if you look at vegetation encroachment or trees, you may have trees that are, by the regulation, not too close to the line. But if it's a tree with poor health and the wind starts to blow in a particular direction that tree then becomes a high risk for taking out your network. And these start, start to be things that you can then model. But it's very true what, what Sarah says. It's, it's impossible for uh, network operators at the moment to make a decision that, that isn't, I was going to say in their best interest, but that's the wrong way to do it, right? So it's very difficult for them to say, I won't protect this part of the network because I need to keep the water pumps going or there's a hospital here. I mean, in the grand scale of things, they do have critical infrastructure that they do protect. But beyond that, it's really difficult for them to make a different choice beyond 
how do I keep as many of my customers on as I can? But what we found interesting in this Credo project is the water company has said publicly, we recognize with this kind of tool, we could see the rationale for investing, say, in the resilience of the energy network rather than our own water network because we are so dependent on the energy network. And, And really the next step, I think, is to bring the regulators round to that way of thinking, to thinking about system resilience rather than network resilience. As we were recording this, actually, it suddenly occurred to me that, that we just had an EU announcement that the EU are going to ban Russian oil and, and, and gas uh, from from the end of this year. And I'm just wondering how d- d- does digital twins and sort of geospatial data, can it, can it sort of, when unexpected events like this happen, big events like this happen because of geopolitics, can we use geospatial data to help us replan or reshift as things like that happen? Because obviously resilience is the word that everyone's using at the moment. So, oh my God, we have to, we have to do things. they focus right? Yeah. There yeah. are other reasons. To, it's, it's a very well, visible the, and obvious yeah. reason, right? Climate change is very real, um, but also a little bit intangible for the everyday person, right? But it's very, very real, um, you know, energy prices. And that opens enough discussion. You know, are we really paying the right, a true price for our energy, you know, independent of the kind of Russian oil um, discussion? Um, so I think it focuses the mind. Um, and certainly, you know, digital twins can help people accelerate decisions on renewable energy production, you know, decisions to have more nuclear power sites, where do you put them, well, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe, Sarah, you've got something to add on that. Uh. Yeah, I think it's about having access to the right information at the right time. So if you are in an emergency situation, you don't necessarily have time to go around setting up all the data sharing agreements, finding out who's got the data, where it is, what quality, can you rely upon it? But if you've kind of encourage this culture where organizations work together they share data in a secure way when you are faced with an emergency situation you know where to go for that information can you know and its reliability and then you can use that information to make the decisions that that you then need to do you ever struggle with getting access to data bear in mind there's lots of different companies involved here presumably and uh, do they all just share openly everything that's what i yeah it's a really good question so I'm sure you have lots of wonderful stories about security and how you got people to share data on your projects. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is always an issue. So some data people are happy to to share. They're you know they're keen to make it open and public, but uh, when you're talking about say energy network asset information, that's confidential data. We're talking about infrastructure assets, that's confidential. So in our project, we've had to set up a data license to um, allow the operators to share it with the team and with each other to to build the digital twin. But there are very restrictive uses of that data within the project. So what we've also done is we've created synthetic data from the real data. Wow. And you can use the synthetic data 
to to do modeling to show what the impact is to tell the public story to to, to you know to talk publicly about the project without exposing oh, confidentiality it's, so, not, it's so, not just about confidentiality it's about security so you're they're just running different models running different models with just you so you can spit in different bits of data and just see what how things turn out is that what you mean by synthetic data same same model structure but different different data sets okay so representative data representative, rather than actual yeah. data that you feed in. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, here's a question for you. For you, and you've explained digital twins beautifully. Thank you very much. And you've explained how how it all works and some of the some of the parameters. I'm interested in 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 sort of projecting forward five or ten years and in, in where you're sitting now and what you do and where you're working for. What would you like to see or what would you count as a, as a great success if I could give you each a magic wand to wave? Oh, right. So was things like wars about aside this. and, and, and like unknown, aside, unknown yeah. unknowns aside. So I think I, in five years' time, want to say that Spotits and the Earth Observation sector as a whole played a big part in the reduction of methane losses from our gas networks. Methane's a huge... Um, we don't know about this. Well, we yeah, some people know about this. 20 to 80 times worse than CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, but presumably not as much as CO2. No, of... but it's, it stays longer in the atmosphere and it has a, a, a stronger... Um, effect than CO2. So when you, one tonne of methane is, depending how you're calculating, 20 to 80 times, the equal to, to admitting 20 to 80 tonnes of CO2. So there are you know, new rules coming in, um, in the UK and in the EU, which will see a lot more monitoring and we'll, we'll see new technologies being used both to monitor for leaks and also to increase the reliability of the network from a start such that they don't leak so much. So that would be my thing. That's mm, a good thing. Cow, cow burps. Isn't cow burps like a big methane producer? Oh, farts as well. Both ends. Both, <laughs> ends both are basically not good. Not outgassing. Good. Cow outgassing. <laughs> yeah. Susie's, Susie's a world authority on outgassing. And I don't mean that in a burpy farting way. <laughs> no, no, no. In a personal way. In a space technical space-related space technical way. way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sarah, you have the magic wand. So um, five years is not a long time. You can have 10 years. The world of connected digital twins. Yes, thank you. I think I might need 10 years. You're grabbing Um, 10 years, are you? (laughs) Yeah. So I I think it's about um, seeing a future where infrastructure asset owners work together. They share data in a secure way through connected digital twins. So they have a common framework for sharing data because I think there is a risk in five or 10 years time that everyone has their own digital twin of their own network, but it it doesn't add up to the whole system. So it's everyone sort of planning their own path to net zero in their own separate way, which ultimately isn't going to get us to net zero. It's not, you know, not even going to get us halfway there. So I think it's about seeing the system more joined up through data sharing and connected digital twins and, and a recognition, I think, that you can use this information around us, we can make better use of it to, to forge that path to, to net yeah. zero. And, and also I would add, it, it's a culture change. So it's about us 
not having the same conversation in five years time oh we must be making better use of the data around us you know we, yeah we need sort of we need cultural change towards more openness towards to, to, to sharing data so i think it's it's about making some progress in this space I might ask Susie the same question, actually, because obviously Susie, as a, as a space scientist and someone who's a, 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 an expert on geospatial data, yeah. might what just sensors quickly... are going to be flying up in space? Yeah, exactly. Like in, Earth, in the world of Earth observation in sort of 10 years time. Well, I guess, you know, my, for, I guess I am just about to start a grant looking at space weather and the impacts of space weather on geomagnetic disturbances, which can have impacts on um, the infrastructure that we rely on, whether that's the energy grid or uh, power lines. So I guess I do. I didn't. When Dan said that, I thought, "Gosh, I have nothing to add to this conversation." But I guess Sorry. I do. In that we're doing we're doing <laughs> yeah. this research to try to understand the fundamental physics that then drive some of the events that we need to understand better. So you know, maybe we'll be working together in five years' time. Plug you yeah. into the digital twin. Exactly. It. <laughs> it's really about understanding those future risks. I think we have yeah. a sense, but we don't really have a proper understanding of what the risks are and what do we do to mitigate mm. against those risks. And I think we, we all have a, a, an individual role to play, right? Because we're sort of forgetting a little bit about the, the greenest energy of all is the energy that you don't use and you don't use. Yes. Do, right? yes. That's the best answer. <laughs> I, I'm going to steal that. Can I steal that? Lizzie? The use, best energy is use the and one. abuse that one because that's, nice. that's, that's really very much the truth as well. Yeah. So, you know, the digital twins is going to come down to the choices about how you set your thermostats, when you, you know, when you choose to cook your cupcakes, when you charge your car. Um, you know, maybe how many times you flush your toilet a day? Who knows? Let's not go into that. <laughs> and so if I had a magic wand, I'm going to make sure Susie's driveway is seamlessly dug up. Yes, so you can see it underneath. That's Please do idea. that. Yes, I have some anxiety around that. So yes. <laughs> So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you listen to the other episodes in the series. Yeah, that is the end of the series. Just to say a big thank you to the space and geospatial leads at KTN. That is Andy Bennett and Luca Badello. Thank you so much for putting it all together. Innovate UK KTN. Connecting for positive change.